and Sagittarian matters, eye patches, advice, comedy, Catholicism, sex, and more with my guest, Cameron Esposito. Stay tuned. Sagittarian matters, Sagittarian matters, what's the From the Sagittarian Matters Social Distancing Studios in Los Angeles, California. Producer Ponyo and I are here eating our way through a lifetime supply of chickpea pasta, which they sent us to try for the show. And uh, I wanted to say hi and check in before I take you to my interview with Cameron Esposito. What's going on over here? Well, I'm loving chickpea pasta because it's a protein pasta and it's gluten free. And so I feel like if I just boil that, make something green. I've done my due diligence with nutrition for the day, considering that, you know, it's just me in here cooking my same stuff over and over again. I have been ordering some takeout or um, delivery, I mean, and doing a very elaborate cleansing ritual and then dumping the food directly into one of my bowls using gloves. But uh, that's for a limited time because who knows how long my favorite restaurants will be here. If you have a favorite restaurant that's had to close down, please consider getting a gift certificate to them. Same thing with coffee shops. Any place you love that you want to see come back after this, please buy a gift certificate. I don't know what else to say. Okay, and other news, things that we are liking. Gummy vitamins. We are down to raisins because I ate all the candy in my house. Uh, I ran out of flour and I wanted to make some tahini cookies. And so I ground up oats in my bullet, my blender. How did it go? Oh, it was flour. It's kind of heavy. It's kind of dry, but it is flour. So if you're making cookies or brownies, you run out of something, let's get ingenuitive. This is actually the time when food hoarder, weird uh, kind of MacGyvers like me shine for better or for worse. You know, is it good for me to eat an old banana peel? I don't know. But do I have one in my freezer? Probably so. In other news, um, I want to tell you about a couple places I've been moving my body online. Not like an OnlyFans account. I mean two places where I've been doing dance aerobics with other people live, not just uh, one of my favorite old-timey Zumba videos. One of them is Pony Sweat. Friends to the show Pony Sweat have been teaching classes online uh, via their website, PonySweat.com, or via Everybody Gym, which is a local gym in LA. And for $5, you can take any of their classes online and help support their teachers. Pony Sweat uh, is so great. It's so fun. It's a freak aerobics class. Fuck the moves. And at the end of the time, you get to see everybody turn their videos on Zoom and you get to see where everybody was working out in their homes. Is the best part of this whole thing seeing people's pets during business meetings and workout, etc.? Maybe. I like seeing everybody's pets. Another thing I've been doing is working out to Instagram Live with Ryan Heffington, who is a choreographer from Los Angeles who's been leading dance classes at 10 o'clock in the morning, Pacific Standard Time. Check that out. Okay. I live in a queer complex. I'm considering designing a flag for us for when the neighborhood goes rogue and we need to claim our affiliation. Just uh, letting you know that. Um, In other news, I got trolled today. Something exciting happened and then something scary happened. I was doing a queer memoir panel with Cameron Esposito and Sina Grace, Saeed Jones, Jacob Tobiah, and Professor Pano. Uh, We were doing our sweet queer memoir panel. Everybody was talking about queerness in their work. We were taking questions from some of the people who were there. And in the middle of it, 
somebody started trolling us by sharing a screen to the whole group that was like kind of gross out porn from the late 90s, like two girls, one cup style scat stuff. But it was just relentless over and over and over again, no matter how many windows we closed, another one would come up. And so we had to actually close the meeting. I tell you this both to say, oh my God, can you believe that happened? Was I hate crimed or just trolled? I don't know. Um, But also to say, if you're doing a Zoom meeting and it's something public like that, there which we found out afterwards from a brilliant partner to Cameron, Katie, who was producing things on their end, uh, you can actually turn off the option for participants to share their screens or to share stuff for everyone to see. So once we fixed it, we came back and finished the panel and it was very, very sweet, but there was a little bit of excitement for you in our otherwise kind of placid days living alone at home. And I wanted to thank everybody who came to the panel, everyone who asked a question, and I wanted to thank my fellow panelists. All right, on with the show. Producer Ponyo and I will be here eating raisins. We're happy to answer your advice questions. Please send us your specific pandemic COVID questions. We would love to answer them and uh, enjoy the show. Enjoy my talk with Cameron. We'll talk to you soon. Cameron Esposito is a Los Angeles-based comic, actor, and writer. Her new book, Save Yourself, is available for pre-order right now. And if you get the audiobook through Libro.fm, you can choose a local independent bookstore to benefit from the sale. Cameron joined me via Zoom to answer your advice questions, tell us about her childhood eye patch, talk about comedy, her book, and more. I want to say before we begin that I reference a scene from Blue is the Warmest Color, and just in case you haven't seen the movie, it's a teenage girl who's one of the protagonists, and she's eating spaghetti, but she's like shoving it in her mouth in a really primal way, and that is what we were talking about and referencing. Now, without further ado, please enjoy my talk with Cameron Esposito. Cameron, how are you handling quarantine? How's it going for you? Well, something I have long used as a coping skill is my um, drive to create community and to give myself projects to work on. Like, that's just something that I have utilized during downswings for my whole life, perhaps. Um, So I would say that I'm handling quarantine with, like, an enormous amount of anxiety, some very weird dreams few nights ago i brought a hatchet to bed i'm not sure what i thought was going to happen in the night that i would have had to use a hatchet but that was where i was at emotionally and then what (laughs) i did when i woke up in the morning was you know put the hatchet next to the bed instead of in the bed um and started to plan these zoom events that you and i were talking about before we started recording i'm doing sort of a virtual book tour right now. And that is really because the, I mean, the emails I was sending out to friends to you, cause you're going to do one of the events was just like, hi, I, I would love to stay sane as best I can. And for me, what I know helps with that is having things to look forward to and having community. So I've been trying to give myself that. And I'm also incredibly privileged because I have you know, a platform and access to be able to provide that for myself. I know there's a lot of people who might just be like at home and don't have this same setup. And 
So maybe the translation is setting up like a date with a couple of friends to like sit across from each other on FaceTime and like doodle or whatever it is, you know, whatever your version of the thing is. But I just find that I do better when I have a few things in the calendar Mm -hmm. to look forward to. Because you are about to have your book released, your book, Save Yourself, that we're going to talk about. And you were going to have a whole book tour that involved a lot of people coming and sitting close together and then maybe coming, getting close to you while you touched their object, signed it, and then handed it back to them. (laughs) Maybe posed for with a hug or like an arm around the shoulder for a photograph. And then no more of that. No more. So. Yeah, no more of that. It is also funny because as this, you know, I always thought, not always, I thought for maybe a month or so that that the tour would probably end up being canceled, but we just weren't sure how quickly the spread was going to happen. And I just so happened to order to have ordered <laughs> these giant car- cardboard cutouts of myself in um, a Pope costume that I had made where it's like a gay Pope costume. So in every city there were going to be these cutouts that people could take photos with. And for a while I was like, well, I've solved the meet and greet situation because if we can't like all be close to each other, we can like stand six feet away from the same cutout, you know, when it, and then obviously it progressed from there. But somewhere in this country right now, there are like 15 large cardboard cutouts of me just all hanging out together in empty bookstores. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I was wondering if they were all in your house. That's nice to know they're not all in your house. No, they're not all in my, I wish they, I actually wish they were all in my house. I'd set them up and I would do a stand-up show for them. Will you tell me what you and your partner have been doing to pass the time? Um, that's a great question. Uh, first of all, yesterday, uh, Katie and I learned how to use TikTok. Mm-hmm. I made one TikTok yesterday. Um, we had to ask, Katie has like a person in her life who's a teen. Mm. So we had to ask a teen. Mm. Um and we've also been doing uh, Disney sing-alongs, but just the crescendos. Skip to just the crescendo. Really belt it. Um, what else have we been doing? We play a lot of Scrabble. Oh, really? But that's something that we already do. Yes. Katie's a book editor, so she absolutely destroys me. And it's, you know, humiliating. And I keep coming back. Well, I appreciate that because I've been in relationships where I where that's happened. And then the person hasn't come back. <laughs> or I've wiped the floor with them. But then you know what I think it is? Because I gloat a little bit afterwards or I, I celebrate. I celebrate my win, my victory. And then yes. the other person's like, I'm not playing with you anymore. It's That's done. That's really funny. <laughs> She's also good at like crafty plays, like where you put the Z in a place where it counts like seven times. Yeah. Like that's how she plays. And it's, I'm trying to catch up, but like she's at a level that it's just, there's no... You know, congrats to her is my point. I feel like you, Cameron, should be able to phone a friend. Like you should be able to have this headset on during the whole time and have another writer on your team. Maybe she could have another comedian and you could have another writer and we could be like, okay, listen, you need to hold on to that until you get to that triple word score. Like, don't put this down right now. It feels like you should because it's a funny word, but you got to save it up and do the boring word that's going to get you a zillion points. You know what? That is a great point because I will say consistently... I play funny words slash even made up words. Oh, no. My favorite thing to do is, you know, <laughs> will you accept? And then I'll do a funny spelling. So in terms of like 
jokes. Like I am still winning like that part of the game. You know, like she's like technically she's winning at Scrabble, the game Scrabble, but at, at the game <laughs> I'm playing, which is joking around Scrabble, like I'm really dominating at that. <laughs> I want to say at a certain point I started date I was like dating. I was like on the Tinder market or whatever and I was dating people with like maybe not the same level of sense of humor or importance placed on that. And so I had to realize at some point that there wasn't a studio audience because I would make jokes <laughs> for the person and they wouldn't think it was funny. But in my head, I'd be like, oh, my friends would think this was very funny. I don't even well, know. Katie is very funny, though. I mean, that's the thing is that, like, I actually am very grateful for um, this relationship because there's, like, a lot of laughter in it. And when you're a stand-up comic... Just, I don't know if people know this. I laugh like never. Like comics, we we don't, there's no laughing if you're a comic. Like even at another comic, this is how you, this is how you know somebody is killing with another comic. The person's on stage, the comics in the audience, this is what they say. That's funny. That's it. That's, you're destroying a, a flat affect. That's funny. Highest compliment in the world. Um, so for me to, to have like, the opportunity to laugh is really amazing because it, it's something that over time, like my friends are usually, my comedy friends are usually not doing like silly goofs. They're doing like the, the highest possible joke you could make in the moment. It's nice to have some, have some silly goofs right now in my life. I'm happy about that. Do you ever just sit on the couch and just mutter to yourself to go, well, that's funny. When Katie makes yeah, a joke. <laughs> I did it. I did it in this exact conversation like five minutes ago to you. I don't know if you heard me say it. Not funny. It's, not it's funny. absolutely true. I, I'm, uh, I have trained myself out of laughter. <laughs> it's, you know, what's hard for me is I'm a good audience member in that I appreciate comics usually by s smiling with my, my mouth agape, but I'm not the real loud laugher. And I have a friend who just every time she's doing a knee slap, she's clapping her hands. She's oh guffawing. And so, like, if there was ever a recording of a comedy show, you know if she was there or not. And I'm just – I'm. it's good that I like to sit up front because people just need to see my face to know, like, I'm like, I'm enjoying this, but I'm not making any noise, probably. Oh, well, absolutely. Thank you for your at least facial agreement. Yeah. Another thing that I always think about that I feel like is not talked about very much is, you know, when when an – a show is ill attended or super intimate. That is hard on the comic, but that is like harder on the audience because laughter's, uh, this is a very loaded right word right now, but it's contagious. We, we laugh when we, <laughs> we laugh when we don't feel like we have the burden of proving to someone that they're funny. Like the idea, if it, as an audience member, if you feel pressure, it's antithetical to the feelings of relaxation that one needs in order to feel like you have to feel like the comic has got this they're in control there's nothing you need to do here you really have to feel like you're not on the job today's episode is brought to you by elise miller beth pickens kylie oram lily withcomb starshine christian whitney gecker mary pinson Jill Soloway and Shoshana Ruth Wechter. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, especially and in particular producer Chris Sutton, 
they send $5, $25, $5 million via PayPal, that's your business, to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet like the insect, leg like its appendage at gmail. And this just in, producer Chris got Venmo. His name on there is Hell Books. H-E double hockey sticks books. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Pano looks forward to it too. Don't be scared. That's just Pano's voice. I want to talk about something from the book that's also been in your sets, which you have in common with producer Pano, which is that Ponyo. you wore an eye patch for a good deal of your childhood. And that's right. The part that I didn't know until I was reading your book is that one day when you were a kid, you walked downstairs and one of your <laughs> eyes was completely white. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I have a lazy eye. I still do. Um, I have had two surgeries. And when I was a child, I wore an eye patch for eight years. Uh, the, the moment that this started was this day that you're talking about where looking at photos now, you can sort of see it earlier than that, like a drifting or whatever, but it was subtle. And then one morning, it just was no longer subtle. And my eye was crossed all the way in so that the <laughs> iris, so that every part of it that had any color on it was perfectly just like basically looking back inside my skull. <laughs> and I went downstairs and just like greeted my parents. Uh, well, my dad was actually out at the time, but greeted my mom like, hey, you know, like, <laughs> whatever. I cannot even imagine what that experience would be like as a parent because you have to sort of I guess you know again it's like that audience thing you have to keep your face a little bit normal (laughs) the spotlight's on you as the parent she called my dad and my dad came home and I was running around in the front yard and I think for both of them yeah I mean it's even more than like I also had a broken arm when I was a little kid and I remember I was five when that happened and I remember how my parents tried to act like everything like it was it was broken in two places I had to have it surgically set like it was very broken <sighs> and I remember them acting like things were okay <laughs> you know as it was like dangling and just pointing multiple directions I don't remember this moment from my, when I was two but I imagine very similar two parents trying to be like we feel like completely normal, but just like as an aside, we are going to take you to the emergency room. Like not because of anything that you should worry about, but like we're going to go there immediately. But like don't freak out, but it's right now. You know? You're deaf. It's definitely not like when someone brings a pug into the ER and they're holding like the eyeball in their hand. That's your parents with yeah. you being like, everything's totally great. We feel fine and like we can wait, but we'll, but we'll also be waiting right next to the desk because we need – um care immediately because as you'll notice her eye it's white she has a one fully white eye (laughs) like did you I mean who even knew that an eyeball could go that far in that direction I didn't know I didn't know till right now yes I completely uh agree I mean um it still crosses like if I'm really tired pretty significantly so I will believe that it can go that far in that direction because I don't my eyes can look like sometimes (laughs) you warn Katie you're like so if we wake up one morning and you just see the well, white of my... Ac- this is actually a real thing. Like, I I have, for the whole time I've been dating, had to tell people... Because if you meet me, you might not necessarily know this. Like, I, because I've had so much uh, work done to save my vision, 
you can't always tell looking at me that this is what's going on when you first meet me. So I always have to warn partners, like tell partners so that they don't freak out. Like, Hey, I've got a, you know, a lazy eye. And like, if I'm tired, like you're going to see it and it's gonna, my eyes will be crossed, you know, because, um, what I have learned is that if you don't tell people, they will point it out to you. <laughs> this, this has happened to you. So many times. I mean, when I was a little kid, it was crossed all the time. But now it just is. It's something that wavers in and out. When I was in high school, it was sometimes really bad. Um, and one time I went to a dance with it crossed, like a school dance, you know, in a, like a dress. Mm, uh, did, what was your hair doing then? Yeah, I had like an updo. Oh, nice. nice. Don't freak out about it. I was imagining the bowl cut just forever. The bowl cut, like following you all the way into high school, wearing a dress. No, I had I had long hair. I had symmetrically long hair for a large portion of time, from like maybe um, sixth or seventh grade till I was like twenty six. Oh my god! I know. Wow. I know. Well, I have a question. So, having a bowl cut and glasses with an eye patch is a great mm. recipe for someone to be a comedian in their future. Like that's, that's true. That's kind of all you need. And maybe, you know, yeah. But so, you know, in your book, you touched on the idea of then having to come into your vulnerability as an adult. How did you do that? Because I also, you know, grew up in such a way that I really had to like create a routine, create some distractions from what was going on with me physically. Yes. And so then as an adult, I also kind of had to learn to not um, distract from every feeling, not to take the seriousness out of every situation, not like breaking the tension in every situation. Yeah, that's such a good, that is such a good point. And that was exactly my experience. Earlier we were talking about, you know, I was talking about planning and having something to look forward to as a coping skill and humor is a coping skill. And I'm so grateful that I learned how to be funny because I think it made it possible for me to continue to go out in the world. You know, it's, for, it's like really intense when you have something um, wrong with your face, you know, like socially wrong with your face because people look you in the eye when they meet you. When you, when you have an eye patch on, when your eyes are crossed and looking at each other, I mean, it's, it's not the, and it, and it, impacted my vision. I couldn't see well. I would have, I had double vision. So I was also stumbling all the time. I was like hurt all the time because I would just walk into a door, you know, because I couldn't see where I was going. Um, and I think that that would have been, I think that could have been some pretty socially unlivable stuff, you know, just to try to blend in with a group of classmates when you, can't tell what's going on around you um, all the time because it's like shifting visually and when also you look a little bit different than other people and then on top of that adding queerness and then on top of that adding glasses for a different issue and braces and a bowl cut and I just I feel like the social gift that comedy gave me it then eventually took back but this wasn't mm. for years you know this wasn't until I was like in my 30s because then what I was doing was joking around about how I felt and never actually ever telling anybody how I felt. And it was then safer, you know, the people that were around me, 
some of them were, I guess, still schoolyard bully type folks. But I'm an adult. I can choose to spend my time elsewhere. When you're a kid, there's there's such restricted choices. You You have to be in school. You have to be part of the group. When when you're an adult, you can be a little more self-selecting about how you spend your time. So I think I just had to catch up with myself there and realize like, oh, you don't have to be with the meanest. You don't have to be your most vulnerable self with the meanest people you know. But you can try to find the nicest people you know, the kindest people you know, and tell them the real truth, not the joke truth. <sighs> I feel like <laughs> you just dropped like a huge like. <laughs> That's a huge growth bomb. That's a huge less like life lesson. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It has been. I just in the past year read on Instagram. Friend to the show Jessica Yadu posted something where she said um you don't need to process with people you don't trust. Right. I had never heard that before or even really considered it before. And I'm like a scarecrow made of boundaries. Sometimes that's how I feel. Yeah. Um, that's such a good point. And I, I also will say that for me, what allowed for this moment of growth was not positive movement. You know, it wasn't that like I slowly gained people's trust over time. It's that I had a bunch of negative things happen in a row um, or like hard things happen all in a row, like having a TV show and a network canceled and um, going through a divorce and then some other things in my personal life that were all really difficult. And I think when things were going along in a sort of a smooth sailing direction, I didn't realize that I wasn't telling people what was really going on. But when things got tough, then I realized that I was really limiting myself in the support that I could get because I hadn't built up, you know, friendships where I was truly honest with people. And so I've been working on that really hard and it's been the best part of all those difficult things. Oh, what a gift. Like what a nice gift to yourself and then to the people around you to give them the opportunity to show up for you like that. (sighs) So true. You know, Um, it really is. Yeah. One more thing about your book before we segue to how people, well, two things. One thing is I found out that you have an aversion to food sounds and I want you to know that I had to, I turned off the movie blue is the warmest color because part of it was how, Oh my God, the pasta, how messy that girl was eating that fucking spaghetti. I was like, I'm out. I can't, I don't know. I'm sure they're gay, but I'm just going to read the book because I don't have to watch this person eat this messy spaghetti. <laughs> the pasta. Can you tell, can you explain the pasta scene? Yeah, I mean, I think in in Blue is the Warmest Color, um, which, like, of course, now it's complicated to even recommend because we know about the practices that were going on behind the scenes for those actors. Um, But I do have, don't worry, I have the graphic novel right over there. So I don't want you to think I haven't supported it in other formats. Um, But the thing about Blue is the Warmest Color is I think that character is supposed to be um, greeting life she's supposed to be like a voracious person right and so they show that and i actually i will say to me in that movie i actually really loved it um because i think we usually have only seen men do that Mm. but i'll tell you what drives me nuts is 
half of the characters that Brad Pitt plays because Brad Pitt is constantly eating or like chewing on pumpkins. It's like, it's like a part of his method, how he gets into character is that he's like, yes, there are so many movies where Brad Pitt eats. And, um, I, I even think he's kind of a charming eater, but I do have an aversion to food sounds, which is based in like some, uh, eating disorder nonsense that happened and that I continue to work through. And I wish that I could say in working through <laughs> disordered eating, I then came out the other side and no longer have an aversion. But that is another case. <laughs> I There's certain sounds that infuriate me or seeing certain things where I'm like, I, I mean, it's also PMS related, but I get very Valerie Cherish where I'm like, I don't need to see that. And I just like turned off blue is the warmest color. <laughs> Yeah, it for me, I've, I noticed that it's um, anxiety related. So like if I'm feeling anxious, that my auditory sensitivity is like through the roof. And um, I have to wear like headphones and stuff to be able to function. Anyway, I'm sure I'm doing great and everything's fine. But at least I know when I know when the underlying thing is, oh, it's actually anxiety, mm-hmm. then I can work t- to try to manage that so that the other things are not so severe. That makes sense. I mean, it is nice for me to remember that PMS exists, which I remember every month. Right. I forget it. I get complete PMS amnesia. And then once a month, I'm just like, get the fuck away from me, you fucking idiot. Like when I see people walking on the sidewalk, like last week, yes. oh, I'm sorry, yesterday, walking down the sidewalk and having someone walk down the sidewalk and like not give me an, a space to get past them without being six feet away from them. Right. And I was like, what are people doing? Get in your house. it's like when i start walking around with like a citation book that is when oh yeah things Mm -hmm. on my end have spun out of control i feel you (laughs) Um, a a giant part of your book is that you were raised so catholic the catholicest (laughs) i i was raised catholic to a point but less lifelong um, you know, I still have some Catholic tics. Like, I really wonder if you feel like you're going to burst into flames for dressing as a gay pope. Like, um, you know, I, I more so am like waiting. I'm like holding this prayer card while you ask me this. I'm waiting. It's funny. I, I was wondering if there might actually be like a response from the church. And I'm not saying that because I feel not, not to be self-important a couple of years ago. I posted a picture of my neighbor's nativity scene. My neighbors had a nativity scene that was that had two Josephs because my neighbors were gay men were gay men in my old apartment. And I posted a picture of their nativity scene, like this is so cool, on my own Instagram. And it went from there and was like a viral thing where it was shared all over the place and and multiple archbishops, the archbishop of Providence, Rhode Island, but other places too, issued responses, actual responses to my photograph of my neighbor's nativity scene that was on their own property. Wow. (laughs) And so I, and that to me, um, I think even, you know, this was just a few years ago, so far removed from the church at that point. But even that, it like offended me because I couldn't believe that that was something that they gave one shit about, given the other things that happen in the world. Um, But I think it also, like, it made me so sad that 
to find out, oh, it's like still that level of hatred, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what I've been waiting for with this, um, with this, t- you know, wearing the queer Pope costume. The, I, I obviously think this is not what's on most of the world's mind right now is that I wore a rainbow and trans flag <laughs> Pope costume. But when I first um, posted the photos, I wondered if that would happen. Well, I wonder if you have any tips, if we have any listeners who are young people who are queer or trans and growing up in a Catholic household or people that are older and still kind of reconciling that. Do you have any tips for either surviving that moment or coming out to people after coming from that moment? Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, I think for younger folks, one thing I would say is that your safety is paramount and your financial safety and your emotional safety don't necessarily mean that you have to come out at the earliest possible moment that you can do that. I think something that happens when we have like day national coming out day or like a trending thing on Twitter, or when we see older, more financially stable folks um, talk so openly about their lives, I think that can sometimes feel like a lot of pressure. I know I felt like a lot of pressure when I was at a Catholic college where I couldn't come out and lying to a lot of people around me. I know I felt terrible about that, but I was financially dependent at the time and um, I wasn't emotionally ready to take on the burden. Um, And then it ended up happening, you know, before I was ready and that I ended up surviving that. But I will just say the first thing I would just say is like, In the short term, if you're a young person, forgiving yourself for whatever you may or may not be able to accomplish in terms of coming out. That is amazing. Just starting there. And then for anybody that is, you know, friends and family, eventually I would hope that they know this about you because you tell them because I would hope that you get the opportunity to be known by the people in your life. And folks that can't deal um, with who you actually are are over the long term not worth your time. Mm-hmm. Um, there are going to be people who want to know you for who you actually are. And um, I also will say that I think specifically for folks for the re- from a religious background, you know, the national conversation has moved to a place where we talk about how much better it is all the time. Constantly the refrain is how much better and how different it is. But if you're surrounded by religious fervor, if you're in a deeply religious community, if you are schooled um, at a faith-based school, that's not necessarily true for you. So I just want you to know that I know that shit might still be fucking bad. (laughs) And that if that's true, you're not alone. That's true for a lot of people. I think that's really great. And the forgiveness part is so huge. I know I even felt pressure from queer people. I got to a point where I was around when I very first was coming out, I was around all these people who had like talked about basically like coming out straight from the womb that had been like, I'm gay. Everyone knew I was gay. Like the second I was born, I got turned on breastfeeding. I was so gay. So gay. (laughs) And I wasn't, you know, I just, I had come from a different kind of background. It wouldn't have been groovy for me if I would have come out while I was living with my parents or even explored that 
or even been near them. And so I had to wait till I moved completely across the country and coming out in my early 20s, I felt like a geezer. So I just want to say, if you need to wait to come out till you're 105 years old, whatever, you have your own timeline that's different than anyone else's timeline. And it's perfectly fine to come out in whatever way as whatever you want. You could keep coming out over and over again. I feel like I came out as a lesbian when I was in my early 20s, and then I had to come out as queer, you know, as like a bi-curious queer in my 30s. Yeah, there's, well, I mean, that's true for so many people too, because things have continued to shift. This is not a static identity for anybody, because it's not, because um, people haven't been static, because gender isn't static, and sexuality isn't static. So you might... Anyone might have to come out multiple times. What a what a treat. <laughs> what a treat. Well, then your friends get the opportunity to show up for you again and be like, oh, all right. Well, sure. We still got your back. Love you. Thanks for being honest. Yeah. All right. Are you ready for some advice questions? Yes. Okay. Dear Sagittarian Matters, my girlfriend and I have been dating for a few months and things are great. There have been a few times lately where I heard her say, I love you but I wasn't sure if she was talking to me or her dog. Both instances happened while we were laying in bed with the dog between us. I do love her, but I'm not sure if I should ask who she was talking to or wait until the moment is right for me to express my feelings. What should I do from confused in Chicago? Chicago, Chicago, my hometown. This is a (laughs) glorious question. Here's my read. My read is, um, it sounds like maybe it's appropriate for you to take the risk and say the thing you're feeling. I feel like after you say that, perfect opportunity, you know, hopefully that's returned over time, and then a perfect opportunity for you to tell this tale of... I couldn't tell whether you were telling me or the dog. But for me, when I hear that, that just sounds like an opportunity for you to, you know, lay your cards on the table. Because there's sort of two different things going on. And if you didn't feel, if you were if you were saying, I don't know how I feel, that would be one thing. But it sounds like you could speak from your own feelings. And that would be a really powerful thing to do. I agree. I feel like everybody can tell when you're at that point in a relationship where people are like, I love your hat. I love when you cook lasagna. Like when people are kind of like practicing, you know, they're edging towards it. You can tell. And you might be terrified because you're like, what if I'm wrong? What if they're just saying how much they love lasagna? But like, you know, they weren't always like, I love the way it feels to cuddle you. You know. You can tell when people are like zooming in and then like diverting the plane at the last second from the runway. Absolutely. I know I I know the exact moment that you speak of. I think it's I think you're right. It's universally understood. If you have an advice question for Sagittarian Matters, call or text our advice hotline 971-361-9998. Leave a message. We might answer your question on the air and we promise not to answer the phone. That is a Sagittarian promise that you can take all the way to the bank. Dear Sagittarian Matters, this is a friendship question. I am an artist who has been working through a long creative dry spell that has been very lonely. 
Recently, one of my closest friends, also an artist, but with a very different career trajectory and goals than me, received a very big high profile opportunity. My friend is incredibly talented and I can't think of anyone more deserving of the success she's attained, but it's making our friendship challenging right now. Because of her new success, she's so busy traveling and doing amazing projects that we barely see each other. The little time we get to spend together is often interrupted by phone calls from her producers or random strangers coming over to tell her how great she is. She always seems excited to see me, but it's usually because she has something she wants to vent to me about regarding her new opportunities. On top of this, my social media is full of posts about what an amazing time she's having. I want my friend to be celebrated, but lately I feel like I only get to come to the party when it's time to clean up. Ultimately, I know my friend's a good, caring person with a lot on her plate. I want to talk to her about this, but I don't want to put any dark clouds over her long overdue and well-deserved success, so I've been keeping it to myself. But I know that keeping it bottled up isn't healthy either. What do you suggest? Is there a support group for unfamous best friends of celebrities? <laughs> um, wow. Great relatable question. Um Here's what I would say. I think that scaling down your expectations of this friendship and redirecting your efforts toward folks who are having experiences that are more on par with your own would be great for you. Um, this is really tough for both people in this situation and you know, you just aren't living in the short term, very similar lives. We don't know the rest of history. There might be a moment where things don't seem to be moving so fast for this other person. And she is a more, you know, having a more sort of down to earth rooted experience. We just don't know. But right now, um, I think actually, I think having a direct conversation about this is not ideal because I'm not sure what can be done you know she can't change her circumstances and you can't change yours mm -hmm. um sometimes we just are in moments where we're not in step with the people around us if seeing her posts on you know instagram or whatever make you feel upset in a way where you don't think you could be a good friend you have an option to short-term mute her and you know be around her as a person for your availability, not just only for her availability. Um, so I'm not actually even proposing like icing her out. I'm just proposing moving her down a bit so that she is joined by another group of best friends that you have a little bit more in common with in the short term. Yeah. I mean, I, I th I'm thinking about this in three parts. I took a couple notes. Because this question is so much. The first yeah. thing is your career trajectory, your career path and her career path. Your, your career is so different. It's totally different. They have nothing to do with each other. You know, she gets to have this thing right now that looks a certain way. Your career gets to have different things that look a different way. And it doesn't mean one is better or worse. It just means that one is getting like, you know, maybe congratulated with capitalism and like promotion right now in a different way than yours is. And that doesn't take anything away from your practice and your art and what your art's going to be able to do for you as a human being. So I wouldn't compare and despair there. I just wanted to rhyme a little bit. The other thing is, 
I, I agree with you, Cameron, about like, this maybe isn't a time for a coming clean, like a come to Jesus talk, as it were, about things. I would say, I don't know, it's benefited me when I've had friends whose careers have taken like totally different paths to not act like a weirdo. Or, like that stuff's so external and your relationship is based on the internal. And so not acting like a total freak around their external circumstances you know, like for me, I post on Instagram things that are going well. And then my friends, my personal friends are privy to things when they're not going as well. And that's not all our relationship is. Like if this person's only venting to you and that's what your relationship has become, that's totally separate than the career thing and whether or not she's available for you emotionally or physically. So I guess I would think like, what's the value of your friendship that's just between you guys has nothing to do with external anything. Is she able to be there for you when you're having hard times? If not, yeah take her to tier two of friendship, not tier one. But in the meantime, like if you see someone has something good happen for them, that's happening on the outside, that doesn't mean that their life is whistling Dixie on the inside. And so when people I haven't talked to for months and months are like, seems like everything's perfect for you. I'm just like, what are you talking about? Cause I had three good yeah. work things happen. Like if, if somebody got an Instagram announcement, every time you had like a TPS report that went straight to the boss's desk, that has nothing to do with how your actual home life is. So, yeah. Yeah, I totally, I, I totally agree. And I think the other thing that I just heard in this description was something that I have related to in different friendships that I've had for various reasons change over time. You know, friendships are not like romantic relationships in that oftentimes they change, people become less important but we have an opportunity to keep them in our lives in a certain way. Like they're still in the category of friend. Like you're either dating someone or they're, they're your ex, but your friend might be your best friend now. And then two years from now, isn't your best friend. And then five years from now is your oldest friend. And so I just have had multiple experiences on all sides of this specific question, you know, with somebody assuming that like, I'm on TV and so my life is a certain way or my life actually being a certain way because of a thing that's happening for me Um, or having friends whose careers like zooming so fast that then like the things that they're talking about are not relatable to me. So I just I think it's okay for for you to also be like, fuck this. This is like the stuff that's in this friendship right now is so unrelatable. I can't even understand what she's talking about. Like that doesn't have to mean you um, cut off all ties forever, but it can mean that short term, it's a friendship that has become strange. And I think what you're talking about, about not being the weirdo is, I think maybe having an expectation on the relationship that things are the same. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody's super rich and famous overnight, like their life is just a little bit different for the short term. They're not different, but the details are different. And that, that does matter. You know, it's like when my friends have had kids or moved to a completely different part of the world. Like changes that happen in our lives that are big changes do affect our friendships. Yeah. I concur. Okay. Do you have time for another advice question? Let's do it. Okay. It's a sex question. We'll do our best. Dear. We'll do our best. Do our damn best. Dear Sagittarian Matters. My partner of six years wants to get freaky in bed, and I don't. I am truly satisfied with our sex life, and I am not turned on by anything kinky. 
especially if it involves pain, even if I am not the one feeling the pain. I can't reconcile the two worlds where sex and pain live in my mind and body, and nor do I care to try. My partner respects me and doesn't push it, but every few months it comes up and we have a fight about trying new things. This isn't a red flag kind of pressure for my partner. I just feel guilty about withholding this experience from them when they really want to try it. I intend to be with this person forever, and I don't want this to be a fly in our ointment down the road. What are my options here? I think I'm afraid of ruining sex for myself with too weird of an experience. From Weirded Out in Wyoming. I have a kind of Dan Savagey answer to this. I have a Dan Savagey answer too. Let me hear yours. Well, I'm going to say monogamish or polyamorous. Oh, mine is different. Mine is a different answer. Your, is yours a GGG answer? Yeah. Tom, what's your answer? You're the guest. You know, I, I just am like listening to the specific description that this person is giving to their partner's desires. And I'm, they sound very riled up. And like, this is a black and white issue. Hmm. You know, they also have said things like, I, I also heard, you know, this person say, I'm completely satisfied with our sex life. And I just think that that, um, your personal satisfaction in your sex life matters very little in the long term when you want to have a shared sex life. Like if one person is all the way satisfied and the other person is not, and that's how things stay forever without any conversation where like an inch is given, that is, it's patently unfair. And I just would say that I would assume that when you say you're, you're satisfied in your sex life, you also want to be a satisfying partner. And I am not saying that you have to do a specific act because I don't even know what the acts are that are on the table. But what I am saying is that there are, you know, there's role playing doing the thing without even doing the thing. There's talking about the thing without even role playing doing the thing. There's listening to someone else talk about the thing that they would want you to talk about without even role, like, like there's so many different, it's such a, there's so many, it's such a gradient. Um, and it just feels like you're responding to sex from a, um, you know, freaked out perspective. And I don't even blame you. Of course you live in our culture. Like this is how we're taught to feel about like missionary heterosexual sex we're supposed to feel like grossed out by all sex but but i just wouldn't i would encourage um like sit down at a not sexy time not in the throes talk about what your partner actually wants and then try to figure out if there's some sort of accommodation or compromise that just gives a little a little can go a long way. I agree. Especially if your partner's a pervert. Yeah. <laughs> they, they can take that and put that in their mind and just kind of really word around and go, go with chew on that for a while. Absolutely. I think to, to piggyback off that advice, it might be helpful for you to really sit down with yourself in a time when you're feeling like not freaked out, not scarcity, not whatever. And just actually think like, Okay, out of the kinky things that I've heard about this person wanting or that I've 
seen on TV or whatever, which of those things are like a maybe for me? If I am going to give an inch, which things are a maybe and which things are a hard no? And the things that are hard no, is that true? Maybe that was true last week. Is that true for me this week? You can reevaluate and just see like, where are you willing to have that gradient go? Like what for you is just like, if I do this, it will make me never want to have sex again versus what thing are you like? I'm going along with this. And if you're going along with it, just go along. You don't have to be like, this is silly. Come on. This is too goofy. <laughs> Take off the hat. <laughs> do it normal. Yeah. I mean, cause what you were suggesting initially or, or the, when we were, when you were sort of talking about a monogamish situation, the thing that I would say about that is that that is, I think that's so introduced into queer life right now that sometimes I think we forget that having, I, I personally believe having a conversation with your partner about what's going on is a, is a better first step because I feel like as queer folks, a lot is being said right now about the sort of more poly and open side of things. And when that's brought in to solve a problem that puts everybody in the situation in a very heightened set of circumstances um, where maybe there's an opportunity here. I mean, you know, I mean, whatever kink is such a, is such a complicated, that could literally be like wearing a blindfold. Like it doesn't, there's yeah. so, you know, we don't know what would, what would scratch an itch. And it doesn't always have to be a hundred percent. And it also doesn't always have to be including other people who would do the 100%, which is something I think is like being introduced now in the queer community as a solution, which can be a solution. I just wonder if there's like a conversation before third party. I like practice. your, I like this. Your advice is more moderate and does not involve an entirely different can of worms. That's just like, I'm like <laughs> one worms, add more worms yeah. to the worms, worms and worms. I'm just like black and white. I'm like, all right, great. Let's just <laughs> open it up, start a polypod, have a key party, whatever you need to do. Just, they want to get locked in a dog cage with a cattle prod, whatever. Just hire someone coming for the day. Do it. All right. I like this moderate approach. I like this conversation. <laughs> I like the idea of actually trying to communicate before you take a very big step. That is kind of like the K2 of relationships. Like a polyamorous relationship is like, if you think communicating is hard, try communicating around things that make you feel your most like vulnerable animal version of yourself. It's a big, it's a big ask. Cameron. How can people support you and your book during this time? Well, Nicole, I'm so glad you asked. Um, my book, Save Yourself, is out March 24th. I don't know. When is this going up? It doesn't matter. This is but, um, This can go up this week or next week. This week is great or next week is great. Great. Um, so if it's this week, folks can pre-order it and you can use all the regular channels that you can think of. Everything from Barnes & Noble to Amazon to... Um, audible or or apple books um it's available in like every format but one thing i'm really excited about is that there's a service called libro.fm libro.fm that does audiobooks and there's one called kobu k-o-b-o and if you buy it that, that that does ebooks and if you buy it as an audiobook or ebook through libro or kobu you can choose 
your local bookstore to be the seller and your local bookstore benefits from the sale. So it's a, it doesn't require any shipping labor and it just benefits the bookstores that are hit the hardest right now. So that's what I would recommend. How do you spell Kibu? It's Kobu, K-O-B-O, or Libro, L-I-B-R-O dot F-M. I feel like a 150-year-old grandma. I had no, Kibu. Yeah, Kobu. I didn't know about these things either, but it's so awesome that they exist. Yeah. So, you know, you can go buy it through Libro dot F-M, and the sale can benefit Skylight Books, which is my local bookstore here in L.A. Oh, my so. God. That's wonderful. And are you going to yeah. keep doing um, panel conversations as the month goes on? Yep, I'm going to do one on the 19th. There'll be one on the 24th, and I might add some more. So um, we'll see, and I'm assuming there will be more added. You can follow my Twitter or Instagram for more information. Great. Cameron, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure. We really appreciated it, and um, you're welcome back on the show anytime, Libra. (laughs) Fabulous to speak with you. Have a great day. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton, with assistance by Panyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.